So Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll be reading the whole chapter. In the year that Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seating on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were six seraphim, each with six each above him was seraphim, each with six wings. Two, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And, I, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until houses are left deserted and fields ruined and ravaged until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken and though a tenth remain in the land it will again be laid to waste but as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we come to hear you speak again. Uh, We want to hear your word. And we want to be open. We don't want to have our ears and eyes, our minds closed. So, Father, please, by your spirit, uh, alert us to what you want us to hear this morning. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been where you shouldn't have been? Have you ever found yourself in a place that you knew you shouldn't have been there? My grandmother told me on several occasions a story of her as a young girl 
uh, sneaking through a hole in a fence at the back of the fabulous Crystal Palace to see a hot air balloon flight. Uh, She told me again and again, I can remember in her 80s her telling me once, and her face would light up as she remembered the wonder and the mischief. She was where she shouldn't have been and she knew it. There was a time when, as a young boy, I was up and over the fence and in the neighbour's yard and it soon became very obvious uh, that I shouldn't have been there. Have you ever been somewhere where you shouldn't have been? Sometimes we go into those places of our own volition. King Isaiah found himself in the wrong place. He went there of his own choosing. He went into the temple, right up to the altar, where only the high priest should go. And as a result, leprosy broke out over his forehead. He was unclean, and now all his people would know that. He ended up in another place where he thought he shouldn't have been in isolation for the rest of his life. The good king's downfall reflects and encapsulates the nation's decline. They were in a place where they shouldn't have been, and it was of their own choosing. Sometimes being in a place where you shouldn't be is dangerous. In the year that Uzziah dies, Isaiah has a vision and in this vision at first glance he is somewhere where he definitely shouldn't have been this is a grand 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 majestic vision and he seeks to describe the indescribable this is the Lord seated on his throne the temple cannot contain him the temple is not big enough to be even God's cloakroom or wardrobe because the train of his robe has filled the temple to overflowing. The temple fades into insignificance. The temple cannot hold him because the whole earth is full of his glory. Yet he is beyond the earth. As creator, he is beyond all that has been made. Indeed, he is beyond the solar system, beyond the universe, beyond all universes. Words cannot capture how supremely and completely other God is. The seraphim settle for the constant repetition, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Holy, 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 holy. God is indeed separate, wondrous, powerful, holy. At the sound of the voices of the seraphim, the temple trembles and shakes and is filled with smoke. This glimpse of God is staggering. The hugeness, the grandeur, the otherness, the power, the danger. No wonder Isaiah feels overwhelmed. 
Some of you will recall the scene from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe where Susan inquires about Aslan. Safe? Safe, said Mr Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Isaiah finds himself in a dangerous place, but with a good king. Trapped in time and space with no real uh, eternal perspective, we all too often domesticate God, don't we? We reduce him to a convenient pocket-sized God or simply recreate God in our own image. As George Bernard Shaw once quipped, God made us in his image and man repaid the compliment. But, but how do we grasp How do we grasp this paradoxical God who was holiness and grace, fury and rest, anger and love, mighty and weak, silence and song, plain as the day but but hidden? How are we to, to fear and yet long to be near this God? God will later say in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is so holy, so other, and yet Isaiah is in his presence. God's overwhelming holiness leads him to sense that he's somewhere that he shouldn't be. He senses the danger. Woe to me! I am ruined! I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, In the presence of God, he is convicted of his sin. He again identifies with the rebellious children, with all of Judah and Israel. He knows the woes of the previous chapter, the woes of chapter 5, apply to him because they apply to everyone. A woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own minds. Woe to those who deny justice to the innocent. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore... The Lord's anger burns against his people. His people. Chapter 5, verse 25. Therefore the Lord's anger burns against his people. 
Isaiah is in the presence of the Lord of all, the judge of all, and he is guilty. Not only does he know it, he feels the weight of it, he, he, he feels the heat of it. Then one of the seraphim flew with a coal, a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. A live coal. Is he going to be destroyed by God's burning anger? With it, he touched my mouth and said, he said something totally unexpected, something totally undeserved. Words of cleansing, words of pure grace, words of inclusion, not abandonment. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. As we hear these words, we should see this as God's long-term cleansing, purging plan to deal with rebellion and sin. Enabling his dearly loved children to return to their true home with him. As we hear these words, I hope our minds and our hearts fly to the cross. The cross of Jesus where God's burning anger against sin, my sin, your sin, the world's sin is poured out upon the guiltless one, poured out on the pure Son of God. Your sin atoned for, your guilt and your shame fall upon another. If our minds and our hearts don't fly there, where do we stand? Under judgment guilty, hopeless. Isaiah moves through burning judgment unscathed because of grace. He is now standing in God's presence, cleansed, able to hear, able to respond. Isaiah's experience is God's plan for Judah, it's God's plan for us. Isaiah received total cleansing and now he's able to truly hear God speak whom shall I send and and who will go for us immediately Isaiah shoots up his hand here am I send me pick me pick me without even reading the job description he speaks He will speak with these cleansed lips for the holy God to his recalcitrant children and the fruit of his ministry will be calloused hearts, deaf ears, blind eyes. Not surprisingly, he asks, for how long, Lord? But maybe he shouldn't have asked that either as this commission and their condition will persist for the rest of his life. 
the monarchy that the people so wanted, so wanted so that they could be like all the other nations, is going to come to an end. For the simple reason that they have indeed become like the other nations, failing to see, failing to know, failing to worship the Lord their God. This people that were chosen to be God's holy people, set apart to draw the other nations to him, have rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. These blessed people who had been the beneficiaries of God's word, God's compassion, God's grace, have and will continue to be ever hearing but never understanding be seeing but never perceiving. They will persist in their rebellion. God will persist in his loving. Isaiah will persist in his preaching. But his preaching will confirm their hard-heartedness. They have become like Pharaoh. They have become like Pharaoh from whom their ancestors had been freed. They have chosen their way, a return to slavery instead of real freedom. It was this audience, this sort of audience, that also faced Jesus, wasn't it? In Mark 4, after Jesus had spoken about seeds and soils, when he's alone with the twelve, Jesus told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything will be said in parables. That they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Jesus too faced the hard-hearted. But there is hope. Hope was held out in chapters 1 to 5. If they listen and turn and come to God, their stain will be washed as white as snow. Like Isaiah, their sin will be atoned for. What God has done for Isaiah, he can do for his people. But ultimately, he will honour their choices. He will not compel them. He doesn't compel us to come and to love. He doesn't want puppets. He doesn't want robots. He wants people to love. Here in chapter 6 again, there is hope. In these disastrous circumstances, it is inevitable that they will be ravaged. They will be laid to waste. And then when there's only a tenth less, they'll be laid to waste again. But, but in verse 13, the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Again, if we fast forward to Jesus in John 12, Jesus speaks of himself as a seed, the seed, the holy seed. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Very tr- truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is the holy seed of hope. And this seed points to our hope for resurrection. Our sure and certain hope that we heard again and again in 1 Peter. Isaiah realises his woeful condition and accepts God's grace and cleansing. He is called and commissioned, he is set apart to be a messenger of hope to the hopeless. Set apart to be God's instrument for renewal. The task will be daunting, but he will not be alone. Jesus came to be hope for the hopeless. To give resurrection hope to all who will believe. To be God's instrument of redemption for the renewal of all things. And then at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he commissions his followers to participate in the task of growing his kingdom and the renewal of all things. And the task will be daunting, but they will not be alone. As followers of Jesus in the present day, who acknowledge our woeful condition and accept God's grace... We are commissioned, we are set apart to participate in Jesus' redemptive work. No one has been chosen to be just a recipient of redemption, but to be an instrument of redemption as well, a participant in redemption. We are to take part in God's all of my people, all of the time, redemptive plan. Again, the task will be daunting, But we are not alone. We are called to serve with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. What might this look like here at Abbotsford? It will be recognising that our greatest honour in life is that we have been chosen to be both recipients and instruments of God's love and grace in Jesus. It will include people preaching and teaching, listening and caring in church, at Y Central, at K Central, in growth groups, in kids' church, mainly music. It will include loving, loving each other, loving your neighbour, loving the stranger, loving your enemy. It will be loving despite barriers. It will be loving beyond borders. So it will include also supporting fellow workers in other countries, other places. It will be loving at full stretch. It will be praying with and for. It will be encouraging people to grow in faith, to take steps towards coming to a place where they think that they shouldn't be. Encouraging by speaking, by writing, by ringing, by texting. It will be welcoming people to church, making them feel at home. It will be offering hospitality, a cup of tea, a glass of water, a smile, a hand, a good day. It will be seeing our life as ministry, our life as service. It will mean we live, work, relate, play and relax, aiming to serve our King. 
It means that we are more and more developing the habit of thinking about how we can be part of what God is doing in this moment and joining with God in what he is doing in this moment and that moment and that location that he places us. We are all called to play our part. We are all commissioned to serve. The great thing is that you don't need to be strong or rich or educated to serve. Anybody can serve and everybody can serve. We are not called to do it all. We are called to play our part. We are not called to assess and judge the parts of others. We are called to play our part to the best of our ability with God's help. To God's glory. You may feel that it's a place where you shouldn't be. But it's exactly the place where you should be. Freely serving the king who has freely given his all for you. Freely serving the king in and through everything. Let's pray. Father, you have showered your grace upon us in the Lord Jesus. We are so blessed. And we thank you that you call us to go, to be your hands and feet, to serve one another and to serve others, to love, to love and to continue to love. Father, please help us to be those people here. Please help us to be your servants. Please help us to know your strength and your grace as we seek to continue to love you and to love everyone in your world. Amen.